Good morning. I am here in the Key West Cemetery with John Wilson Smith. He is an activist, he's a nonprofit director, and he's the president of the Frederick Douglass School Black Educators Memorial Project. He's also a former candidate for city commissioner District 6 in 2020, and we're gonna talk more about that in our conversation. I'm so excited right now because this is this is very unusual. I haven't ever interviewed anyone in Key West and John Wilson Smith is a huge, huge part of the community here. So one of his main missions is to be an archivist of the Bahama Village community history, which is so important for Key West just in general and also has been hidden, I guess I would say. You know, yes, untold. They, they had untold, untold to the larger community because people in the community know about the history. But I think it's really important that we start to acknowledge that this history exists and is an integral, crucial part of Key West. And I and we'll talk more about the museum and the exhibit that you set up. OK, so what do you remember from your childhood of this Bahama Village scene, the community there? What was going on? Growing up here, um, one thing I knew is that there was a lot of love, and I knew that even though I could not have put it in words then, I knew that I was part of a village, being raised in a village, by a village, and there was, so there was a lot of um, love and security uh, for us that even as of today at 65 years, I've never, I have never been threatened on the island of Key West. Wow. And we were all family and we are no more than two degrees of separation. And one of the things in the archives are approximately 1500 obituaries, which, uh, which we prefer to refer to them as obsequies. And the reason for that is being that they represent a snapshot of the individual's life. And it is the ancestry that we can follow back. Because once you know who the, the parents and the grandparents are, it says a lot about them. But as much as anything else is the godparents. Because that mm. meant that the godparents had a very special connection to the parents and that the parents respected them. Wow. So it's, it's almost like this security blanket of community. Almost. Of community, yes, mm. everywhere. And so my first two years of school was during segregation. Oh, wow. So it was really special for me because my grandparents and my parents often took in boarders and they were often mm. teachers from throughout the South, maybe one or two from up and down the Eastern Seaboard, which is where the city of Key West went to recruit teachers outside of those born in the Bahamas. Huh. So the teachers that came from the Bahamas were starting to get a little age on them in some places, but they brought the true education to Key West from the Bahamas because they were educated in the Bahamas under the Queen's rule when educating Negroes in America was illegal. Wow. So that is a big part of it, but also what they brought from the Bahamas that was very special for us was their skills. So they brought skills from building, uh, ship makers, you name it. Um, they were able to do it. And therefore, 
the Bahama Village community and the black people in Key West did not experience the sting of racism as had been known throughout the South and other parts of the country. So uh, with what they brought here, it allowed Bahama Village to be a self-contained community. So there was very little that the average person in Bahama Village needed that they needed to cross Duval Street. I love that. So it was just completely independent of the white community. Very independent. That's amazing. And when there was interactions in the white community mm -hmm. or the white community with the black community, they were welcomed there. Mm. And they knew they were protected there. So outside of the Elenio story from 1921, of the, of the tar and feathering of this uh, Cuban man, I had never had the experience. Now we had one little um, situation here on Southern Street, just this side of the Green Parrot, was the skating rink. And okay. the guy was, was very racist and mm. would not allow the black kids to come into the rink. About 1968, I think it was, one of the kids went into the skating rink and was shot as <gasps> a result of it. Oh my gosh. So it is the only time for me in Key West actually seeing a march. And of course it was right around all of the racial disturbance throughout the country and Martin Luther King. So that was in itself quite an experience. But wow. with the school thing, yeah. Um, because we were around teachers, it kind of also hooked me into education. And it was the expectation of the people that raised us. So being raised right. by Negroes and colored people and being on this island and the education, and not only that, but you know, there was a lot of pride in not flunking, <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> right, right. That was a bad thing to do with right. the flunk. So, Did you feel like you were reflected as a black person in your teachers? Oh, absolutely. I am definitely a combination mm. of them. And mm. one of the teachers was actually the librarians. And she lived there with us for several years. And, and many people thought we were her kids. <laughs> and she, would, awesome. she, would, she would take us to school and bring us back. Yeah, that's great. And also, um, it was just very special to have grown up in this totally black, isolated community that I'm often sharing the story of, about my first day of integration which was 1965. Oh my gosh. And most of the wow. color kids were in total culture shock. <laughs> and so was I. Interesting, right, but that makes sense. But for me, um, where City Hall is today here in Key West, I was standing at the back on a little stoop there and I'm looking on the playground with my mouth agape and I didn't <laughs> know there were that many white children in the entire world. <laughs> And here was one little elementary school. Oh my gosh. Yes. So I can only imagine what others were feeling and experiencing. Wow. How old were you at that point? Uh, well, oh I was six and a half. Gosh. Yeah. So, wow. yeah. So it was quite interesting when I did get to my class uh -huh. and found out that my teacher was Ms. Vina Mae Saunders, who is still alive here in Key West. I get to see her as oh, often wow. as I can. <laughs> and, um, 
she was my saving grace mm -hmm. because while other colored children and Negroes were trying to adjust to this new environment, I had that year I didn't have to worry about it because mm. she was my teacher and my grandparents would bring us to school and would basically hand me to her <laughs> and then at the end of school she would hand me back Aww. to them. <laughs> so, so it gave me a, a chance to adjust and right. so I would say that uh, many of the Negro children at that time that had an opportunity to have a Negro teacher as their instructor for the first year gave them a chance to adjust because, you know, mm -hmm. now I'm in a classroom and there might have been four or five black kids in there yeah. and all the other kids were white. So it was kind of different. But again, yeah. I got to get through that culture shock and also to hear the stories of the various kids from different grades because it mm. varied depending on where they got into the mix at. Some were not able to, uh, to adjust and ended up dropping out at the age of 16 because mm. that was the age that you could quit school. Oh, okay. So that had, a, that had a lot to do with it. I think that the kids at the, at the high school had a little rougher time adjusting because they were pretty much set in what they, their ways, what they did, how right. school was for them. And now all of a sudden they have a totally uh, new program. Wow. So before the integration, when you were six, what was it like for you as uh, just as a kid? Did it feel totally normal? Freedom. It was, yes, it was it, totally, it was, it was own... totally normal. Wow. It was so normal that I did not know I was black until I was 17 years old and in Pensacola, Florida. Wow. So I never seen it, mm. even though there was a race riot here in Key West in 1972. What was the race riot? It was um, 1972, yeah. Mrs. Uh, Essie Mae Granberry was probably the first teacher of black history studies. Oh, wow. And so for sure in Key West. Uh, this might have been her second year of teaching black history and during that year it was decided that we would have a black history program in the month of february okay well again it was new mm -hmm. and the, the weekend uh, before the riot there was a young black kid that supposedly was jumped at his home in, in stock island and as i said we're no more than two degrees of separation yeah so the whole community knew what happened mm -hmm. over the weekend so by sunday everybody is talking about it by monday it's still going mm -hmm. on well that friday prior at that first black history ceremony when it came to the end they started to sing in the the negro national anthem and so the black kids of course they did the power uh -huh. sign and they saying lift every voice yeah. and the white kids began to walk out of the auditorium mm. so of course somebody picked up on that and so between that that friday after school and and monday morning it was part of what was being talked about so on monday morning it, those activist kids who were quite militant then because if you think there's Angela Davis, there's mm -hmm. the Black Panthers, there's stuff going on in the country. Mm -hmm. 
the burnings Malcolm and the Martin X. Luther King yeah. and Malcolm X, all these mm -hmm. things are going on. We, we're unscathed by because mm -hmm. they're not here. The only way we're hearing about these things is mostly on TV. So there was a plan that was laid down that day that on Tuesday, March the 7th, when we come to school, that when they says, would you please stand for the morning devotion? Mm -hmm. All the black kids would get up from their homeroom class and walk out and come to an area outside of the cafeteria, which, you know, it just ended up this way. The white kids were on one side and the black mm. kids were on the other side. And that happened every morning until we went um, to our classrooms. So mm. now that that was going on, the bell rings for the end of homeroom and the kids all come out and, and now it's more mealy mouthing and talking about stuff. and. Are we gonna go to class? Uh, well, yeah. the bell rings and everybody's still out on the patio. Everybody's still out there near the, the cafeteria. And all of a sudden, one of the, you know, a couple of the, the tough guys, the jocks in, in the school, uh -huh. white kids, they yeah. started coming down the hall, going towards the front of the school. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just crazy because uh, for once for me, I got to see people in a pack mentality. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so as soon as the first crew started to yeah. pass the black kids, it was like everybody spontaneously just ran at them and oh chased them. Oh, my gosh. And, and it was, you know, wow. once you got somebody on the run and you're bringing a lot of force, it usually is going to keep them moving. They can't yeah. stop, right? Yeah, yeah. So by the time that the groups really connect, we're in front of the, the school office, right oh in front gosh. of the auditorium. And there's just all kinds of fighting going on. And the office, you know, all the principal and the dean and everybody else is out there and every coach and they're pulling kids this way and that way and throwing them this way. And, and there's a gate in between the auditorium and getting into the school. So they were able to close that gate and it kind of sectioned oh, wow. off the black kids from the white kids who were, the white kids were now in the front of the school. And hmm. it was almost spontaneous that there were fire engines there. There were police cars, there were police dogs. And only thing I could see in my mind's eye was Birmingham, Alabama. Mm. That's the only thing I could relate it to. And it looked like that. And so they, yeah. once they got everything settled down for a little bit and they got the black kids in the cafeteria, the white kids are still out front, and they decide, well, we're gonna call school for the day, that's it. Uh, and um, so the bus that comes to take the kids to auto mechanics and welding and whatever other vocational tech programs that was off programs, um, off school, uh -huh. uh, the bus pulls up and they decided, put all the black kids on the bus, take them to Bahama Village. Wow. You know? What so, about the white kids? What, how are they not getting, you know? I well, mean, that's ridiculous. Uh, it was, you know, the white kids they, were, they were in a much bigger, wider, broad space where we were trapped in the school. I know, that's, it's, I know. You know, I'm listening and I'm saying, okay, so the white kids instigated and then meanwhile you, the black kids were the ones that were put in the cafeteria. That makes no sense. Well, but it was a divider. Right. 
Yeah. So on that on wow. that on that basis, you have to okay, respect so, that. Right. So and, they they put you in the bus. Uh, yes, and um, I'm I'm the, one of the policemen threw some mace or something of that nature on the bus. No. The bus is smoking. <gasps> the girls and everybody is screaming. And While crying you're on the bus. On the bus. No. And the driver takes off and he goes down flag let me so at the time that street was a one way so he goes the other way on oh the one gosh. way and down flagler and you know everybody's trying to lower the windows oh. and trying to breathe oh. and, and by the time it pulled up in front of the Martin, what is now the martin luther king community pool uh -huh. All you could hear was screaming, and Key West was very quiet. It wasn't a oh, lot of stuff to muffle gosh. the sound. I mean, yeah. And so the people in the projects and the community, they could hear all of these screams, mm. you know, and they, uh, everybody's coming out, the ladies in their house robes and whatnot, and they're trying to figure out what's going on here, what's going on here. And then by that time, it had really just busted loose the kids that were still left at the school because the bus couldn't hold all of them yeah yeah you know so it was just horrible oh, um that gosh. day i remember going back i had helped this lady she just gotten out of school so she might have been out of school a year or two mm -hmm. and i know her and her brother were very close and she was going to save her brother mm. you know so that was pretty wild that she had her little Pop shooter, a little 22 that held like two bullets. I don't Aww. know who all she was going to save, but that's, <laughs> she was going back. And, you know, oh I ended gosh. up hooking up with her because I saw her in the hallway in the school just before we left. And that she had been sprayed <gasps> with mace. And she had this Afro wig. And little did I know by me holding her and guiding her, the fumes and you know the the residue was coming out of her oh, wig and getting me no. so i was being affected by it as well oh and uh, one of God. the uh sheriff deputies a friend of ours that i'd known all my life from the community he mm -hmm. told me what to do and to put the water on her face yeah. and whatnot but um so we did that and, and like i said we ended up going back and by this time it was just it was just crazy. So people were now coming to get their kids because right. the word is out in the community. Yeah. And anybody that had a phone was calling every parent, you, right. know, you know, there's a riot at the high school, you know, go get your kid and mm -hmm. da, 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 da. And as a result of it, my mom ended up on the front page of the newspaper really? the very next day. What was it? <laughs> my brother was trapped <gasps> on the white side of the fence. No! And How did that happen? Close the gate, honey. Oh, if you're in, you're in. And if you're out, you're out. Gosh. And uh, the police had him handcuffed to a <gasps> pole there in between both. So he was going to catch it from both sides, okay? Oh, whatever was being gosh. thrown or, or whatever. And, um, and so my mom ended up getting into it with the officer who had who had um, cuffed him yes, to the pole. Yes, your mom. <laughs> so she made the headlines. As a matter of fact, uh, Corey Malcolm, uh, wow. the historian at the Monroe County um, Library, yeah. just gave me um, a flash drive oh, with really? this information and stuff on it because I was wow. able to provide him with the date 
And so he got a chance to see it in all of the newspaper articles written from the Miami Herald and the Key West Citizens. That was wow. quite an event, which shut down the town for must have been close to 10 days. Really? The, uh, yeah, the National Guard came out and they were all along Duval Street. The businesses were boarding up as fast as they can. The black community was not allowed to cross Duval Street other than at certain points. So you have to go to either Truman and Duval Street, or I think the other one was Petronia and mm. Duval Street. And I don't think you could have get, gotten out of Bahama Village any other way at that time. The bell right. started the whole thing for control. You're thinking even Hemingway, for who the bell tolls, it tolls for no man. But the blacks were saying, that bell is not going to control us. We're not going to be a part of your order. Right. So they felt so emotional. Sense. The hell with the bell. Mm -hmm. So they felt instinctively to do the right thing. Right. No control. Yeah. So this happened on March the 7th, 1972. Mm. Okay. And back to growing up in Key West and yeah. after integration began yeah. in its third year, the class of 1968 at Key West High School won the state championship in basketball. Uh, wow. A little 3A school playing, That's amazing. playing 4A schools and these tough inner city kids from Miami and whatnot. Wow. When we won the state championship it is truly the last time key west has been one human family hmm. it couldn't have happened at a better time because it brought the entire community together we were all singing we're a winner we're number one you know mm. and 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 we had all re really come together so that was a big movement in school as far as to uh, cultural divide or race or whatever. Right. Um, and then, you know, again, we went on and didn't really have anything major happening until the riot of, of 72. So mm. growing up in Key West, was, it just always felt normal. Yeah. Um, we played with all the kids, anybody that would play with us. Yeah. You know, there were several pockets of where black people lived. So Bahama Village was the largest population. And then here where we are around the cemetery was a big population. Mm -hmm. And this is where the black people first started to settle mm. was around the cemetery. Before even Bahama Village? Bahama, Way before. <laughs> Bahama Village, yeah. the, the elders and Miss Mary would be one of them. Mm -hmm. They did not like the name Bahama Village. Oh. We did not grow up in Bahama Village. That oh. was Crosstown. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, so the name Bahama Village came in 1972. Okay. And it was the uh, Neighborhood Improvement Association has something to do with it and whatever it turned out to be. But So it was Crosstown. It was Crosstown, okay. exactly. And that's how we would play football in the park there every Thanksgiving. 
Oh. And Christmas, we had our own little turkey bowl That's there. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> and we played with the with the kids from the graveyard uh -huh. and Cups Corner and Poinciana oh. and Stock Island. So that those were the places wow. that had black settlements. Yeah. And the kids would come down, and that would be our Thanksgiving and Christmas celebration. Yeah. Wow. Um, the girls might be playing softball or something. Uh -huh. So that was very special for us. Yeah. Uh, it marked the season, uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. So I wanted to go back to what you said about how you didn't know you were black until you were 17. Yes. Can you talk more about that? That's yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Well, I had um, just started working in the greyhound industry. Okay. And yeah. um, some friends that I had met, um, they were going to Pensacola to take a load of dogs. And um, they invited me to go along. And of course, it's exciting for me because I'm in this new industry that I'm all in love with. Yeah. And I don't know enough about, but I need the experience and the places. So I ended up riding to Pensacola with them. The, my friend's wife, uh, she's uh, Cajun, or as she would say, coon ass. And um, they had rented a space in this little trailer park. And I remember the guy walking by and looking at me, then looking at her, and just gave that nasty cracker spit. Oh. And I just, that just blew me away. That was from stories I'd heard from my grandparents. That was mm. stuff from my collective racial DNA that I didn't know about. But I had that experience and it was like, <gasps> You know, and it drew me back. Like, oh my God, I never, I never dreamed that I would experience that. But yet, here I was in Pensacola. So yeah, that was the first time for me, and wow, it was really crazy. And as I've shared with people throughout my lifetime, my grandparents came here to Key West with a guy who was, they were also friends of Ernest Hemingway, and they were a big, tycoons on the island. They owned the, the hmm. shrimp docks and a private, oh my gosh. And a wow. private island. So during the summers, they would go to Hendersonville, North Carolina, and that's where nice. they worked seasonal in the hotel. I so, see, yeah. you know, my grandmother with the cooking and da 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 da. And this family in the summers would go to Hendersonville to get away from this Key West heat and uh -huh. <laughs> just to relax and whatever. Right. And so they had, you know, talked and communicated over a few years. And then Mr. Thompson asked my grandfather, would he come to Key West and bring his family in? Would they work for him that he would take care of them? Huh. Wow. And so in 1937, my grandfather came to Key West ahead of my grandmother and my mother, and he started working in there. There are trees out there on that island that he set out as saplings. Aww. And so by the time, you know, we were young and running around there, these trees have grown up and it's wow. it's just incredible, you know, on on an island that we thought was as big as Key West to us. It, Probably like three to four acre island. Wow. Yeah. So it's there on the. You on lived on the island? My mother. Okay, my mother, mother and okay, my right, grandparents, yes. okay. they lived there for the first five years. Wow. But Flagler Avenue back then, there was very few houses on it. <laughs> Everybody knew each other. Mm. My mother now, who's 
a young teenager, you know, she wants to hang out with her friends. Instead, she's trapped out there on the <laughs> right, island, right. you know, <laughs> and my grandma who wants to be closer to the church. And one of the biggest things for Negroes during that time was to own land. Right. Because of he course. who owns the land makes the rule. Yeah. And the only place that you can assure yourself of having a place was that if you owned the land. Mm -hmm. So they moved into Key West right across the street from where they ended up buying a house. So they were there for a few years and yeah. Miss Mary and my mother were teenage girls in school. So they were all wow. friends. So Miss Mary is the godmother of some of my siblings Aww. and my mother is the godmother of some of her offspring. Wow. Yeah. And her mother, Miss Mary's mother and father, were pillars of Bethel AME Church. And so was my grandmother. So they were on the trustee boards and stuff because for one, they owned property. And many of these people mortgaged their property for the church to to continue with the construction or or whatever the church needed to oh. keep it operational. Huh. And uh, somewhere I gotta find them, but I do have some paperwork showing the names of all these people that had mortgaged their houses <gasps> for the church. Wow. And I'm sure there was at least six or seven people that had mortgaged their houses. How <laughs> much money did they mortgage them for? Oh my okay? gosh. Speaking of Bethel AME Church, yeah, yeah. I grew up there. Of course, AME stands for African Methodist Episcopal Church. Thank you. I didn't okay? know that, so thank you for saying that. <laughs> and and, and um, it's also an offshoot of the Catholic Church. Interesting. So because Negroes were not allowed to worship anywhere in the church, they were pretty much in the balcony or in the back of the church, James Allen, Reverend James Allen, he decided that he would start his own church. But that was so bullshit. That was that straight up. That was bullshit. So he pulled out. Thank you. Thank you, Sienna. Call, call it like a woman, honey. Yes, right. Okay? So he started his own church. That's great. So he started his own church. And of course, it's, you know, they're all over the country. So as a child growing up in church, you know, once again, from the community, you went to church on Sunday. Okay. <laughs> you went to church. And there are some pictures where you can see like 50, 60 kids in wow. different churches and whatnot. Uh -huh. You know, and there was a lot more kids on the island. And um, as I have studied through the collection of uh, obsequies, most of the Negroes in Key West that were entrepreneurs went to St. Peter's Episcopal Church on Center Street. Hmm. A major part of the educated black people in Key West, including my father and them, they grew up around the cemetery here. And they went to Presbyterian on, on Simonton Street. And it was so quiet, my Aunt Minnie would tell me, you could hear my grandfather in his baritone voice coming from the church. If the wind was just blowing this way even slightly. Wow. She said you could hear his voice all over the cemetery. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. And so the on the church scene, <laughs> right. um, Sandy Cornish, who had been a slave and was threatened to be brought back into slavery, he ended up mutilating himself, yeah, <laughs> to make himself useless as a slave. 
Wow. He ended up being the establisher of Cornish Memorial Church here, Sandy Cornish, right? So he and his wife, they were entrepreneurs and they had over where the um, convent is, Marion Immaculate. Yeah, yeah. That was their property. So they really? had like 20 acres <gasps> over there, yeah? Wow. So that would almost go from right here on Windsor back down to just the other side of Simonton Street wow. where CVS is He was today. a former slave. Yes. And he escaped it by making himself, quote unquote, useless as a slave. As, as the second time. He oh bought his freedom. Gosh. He bought his freedom the first time. Okay, he he bought worked his freedom and bought his freedom. There was something about the papers were lost and oh, they were threatening to put, taking him back into slavery yeah. again. So he mutilated himself and turned out to be an incredible entrepreneur here. Right. And also with that church. Hmm. That church was also where most of the local blacks went that was of Zion persuasion. Hmm. So that's a AME Zion church. Okay. So you got an AME, there's Episcopal, and then you got Baptist, and then you got a couple other offshoots of it. But Zion had the largest congregation here. Hmm. Yeah. And back to Bethel Church, Bethel AME Church was a beacon of light on this island. Now, when prior to my grandparents coming here, mm -hmm. Bethel Church was on Duval Street in the 700 block. <laughs> and the first one was destroyed by a hurricane. Wow. And just not long before my grandparents came to Key West, the Klan is said to have burned down the church on Duval Street. Oh my gosh. And that's when they moved to the corner of Thomas and Truman Avenue. So you could see where they would have needed funding to rebuild this church. This church became a true beacon in Key West for its size, its quality. Mm. It was very special. And what I learned from the obsequies is the Negroes coming here from the mainland that was AME went to Bethel Church. Okay, interesting. And it was, yeah, well, if you think about it, right. they had a lot of the same upbringings. Hmm. They were born in the South for the most part. So when they came here, there were other Negroes that could relate to them as being mainlanders. Huh. And that's what they were considered as, so right? So there was a difference. There was a there was yes, and and part of that is because the original Key Westers that mm -hmm. landed here and had been here mm. were very distrusting really? of outsiders. Huh. So you had and the military too. And the military. <laughs> well, that makes sense. They, <laughs> yeah. The military hated them. There was power uh, control. Well, they were they were not open to trusting them. Okay. Okay. So you had mainlanders coming here, and again, many of them were military affiliated. Mm. And when I was a kid, it was constantly said and pretty much well known for most black women here, if a man will take you across the bridge, across the Seven Mile Bridge, you go with him. Hmm. Because the opportunities here was very limited. 
You know, wow. growth was very limited. So if he will take you out of Key West, yeah, then you'd him. have a chance of a successful life and a good life. Hmm. Well, there was conflict when I was a kid with the military guys and the local guys. And a lot of that came as a result of the town only had so many creme de la creme village queens, princesses uh, to pick from. Uh, and of course, that's what they were picking from, okay? Yeah. So the locals was not going to have that. It right. was already limited, right? But it was very interesting because depending on how they came here, depending on who they connected with, help bring them into the fold of being a part of the island. And many times they would end up getting married or they had kids and then all of a sudden they were of the community as well. Right, yeah. yeah. So would they stay on the island or would they leave? I guess it was many, a mixture. Many stayed. Many stayed? Many stayed and hmm. were welcomed into the community and many of them became really big wigs at the uh, VFW and throughout the community. And of course, they brought their own talents right. from wherever they had come from. Hmm. So there were times that the local boys would chase them through the gate. They would be going so fast. Wow. All you would see is elbows and asshole. Oh my gosh, uh, yeah, I've never heard that expression. Oh, that I'm going to use it. Oh my gosh. I, and I tell you, they couldn't get through the main gate fast <laughs> enough. Believe oh me, gosh. they never pulled out their ID, okay? <laughs> there was no time to. They didn't, they, they didn't even know if they were still back there or not, okay? Wait, so the main gate, <laughs> the main gate, where, like, what are you, what At is the, the main gate? At the end of Southern Street, like, oh, where you go into okay. Truman Annex. Okay. That was the main into gate. Into Truman there. Annex, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so your grandparents, were they considered mainlanders then? Yes. Okay. Yes. But they were well secured because they were connected to people that any issues they had, they mm. would solve them. Even with my mother and being jailed after the riot and stuff, pretty much a phone call would take care of whatever because yeah. during that time, the bubble system was very strong. Can you explain that? The bubble <laughs> system was a connection where the people on the island were all connected. Mm. So even though I being black, so a reason that I would not have known, <laughs> felt this, the racism or whatever, mm -hmm. is because I knew if a white guy came and hit me that the rest of the community was on my side, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Hey, damn sure better not be from outside of this community, okay? Right. So the bubbles uh, in jobs and whatnot, so, the father would hand his job down to his kids or the grandkids that everybody was connected in those ways. And no matter what an outsider did, the insiders were gonna protect them. Mm. You know, um, growing up here, uh, one of the big things that happened in the community was Bolitos. So the numbers was a big deal yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. The numbers were coming from Cuba. Oh, interesting. There was dog racing in, in Havana. Mm -hmm. And so the numbers were coming via the dog track. And oh then on gosh. Wednesdays, the numbers played in two places, Cuba at night and Puerto Rico during the day. Whoa. So, you know, and I guess everybody expected everybody to do the right thing because who wouldn't know what the hell the numbers were in Cuba or Puerto Rico for the day huh. other than those that knew. But I'm sure if they knew and they threw the wrong numbers, uh, 
it would be a hell of a retaliation to, to come up from. So how do the numbers work? Was your family doing them or like a part of the process oh, at all? It or? was pretty much everybody and their families had some kind of connection to them. Whether they were number players, commonly known here as number Jessies. Number Jessies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and number Jessies played every night and they knew. Oh, every night? Every night, okay? Wow. And they knew everybody's birthdays, <laughs> any kind of special days that was wow. going on. And for many years, we knew that on the day that President Kennedy was killed, everybody was playing 1122, oh, uh, you know, yeah. uh, 63. So those numbers wow. were heavily played on those days. Boy, the house did not want them numbers to come out, <laughs> you know. Wow. Yeah so, yeah, so that was pretty crazy. But also... The number Jesse's knew the numbers for everything. Mm -hmm. Everything that you dreamed of, they knew. They knew the numbers for not just the chickens, but if it was a rooster or if it was a hen. What? They knew snakes. They knew poops. That was, <laughs> wait, wait, explain. Yeah, 33, okay. 33 is the number for poops. Really? <laughs> no. What's the number for chicken? <laughs> I don't know. You don't but, know. You, but I, they but did. I they do, knew. Yes. That's a yes. What? Yes, and uh, I'm going to try to get a list from one of the guys yeah. that, that know all of the numbers because or whatever you dream, you call so-and-so. Oh I dream that and that. And they would. Okay, so I just processed this. So if you had a dream about something, you could then turn that into a number, into a number. and play the number? Uh, yes, yes. So like, 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 like me, last night I dreamed about a baby. Again, they would be like, oh, oh baby, throw this here. And, and um, wow. if you dream of a mom and daddy. Yeah. That's 69. So, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Wait, actually, that's hilarious. I can see the correlation. <laughs> right, right. I wonder where I got that. Oh my gosh. That's brilliant. So it's like symbol. It's, it's symbols and meaning and oh yes, my gosh. And, and all these elderly people in Almanac, and they also had a book with numbers in it that oh also showed different things and what they represented in wow the who made do you know who made the books probably not no, that was the yeah wow that but, is uh, yeah. bookie uh, bookie <laughs> okay wow but yeah they knew all the numbers that was a big thing on the island yeah and the cuban community right which as i said i grew up on the edge of we were cockfighters oh wow yes so there was hundreds of roosters over in my community that for whatever reason they never bothered us the crowing can you imagine right. 200 roosters within a quarter mile <laughs> crowing at the same time and every time one said come over here the other would say no you come over here <laughs> right, right. So they're just crowing back and forth back and forth i don't know if we didn't notice or i didn't notice because being a kid because you sleep like a rock. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, we yeah. ran all day until daybreak. You know, and I had all kinds of animals in the yard. At some point, it was chickens, <laughs> ducks, ducks, rabbits. Oh, my God. Yeah, I had a monkey at one time. No. Uh, yeah, I had a little squirrel monkey. Oh. And uh, he was of the community. <laughs> a little squirrel monkey. That's so cute. You know, and it was really sweet to... See the old people still getting water from the well. Really? And getting water from the cisterns. Wow. Yeah, there was all throughout the cemetery, you will find pumps. 
Yeah. Hmm. So those work like people used those oh, yeah. when you were a kid. Oh yes. yes. Wow. Yeah, it wasn't until I was almost a teenager that you could see it slowing down, but you know, it hadn't been that long before that that people got indoor plumbing. Mm. So did people grow their own food also, like fruit trees and you did not need very much money to survive on the island. The island was pretty much of barter, bartering, yeah, trading one thing for bartering, yes. So everybody knew who had different trees. Right. Throughout the, uh, the the black community was this tree that they brought from the Bahamas called pigeon peas. Hmm. And pigeon peas was everywhere and they are one of the big Bahamian delicacies in there dishes of rice yeah they okay. would cook it together is it like beans kind of it's like a bean like a but bean? they okay. come out of a pod huh. yeah and you could get them anywhere so you know of course if you think about it a pound of rice or a pound of grits could feed a whole community a whole block yeah it goes around and around and now you got free peas so what did that cost and then we had access to the ocean Somebody went fishing every day. Mm -hmm. There was always fish, conch, crab, crawfish. I mean, things that are really expensive delicacies today, right. we had for free. Right, because someone was getting them out of the water. Uh, yeah. 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 So, you huh. did, so you didn't need a whole lot of money right. um, to survive. And you knew people with the different trees, avocados. There was a lot more sugar cane on mm. the island. So there was a lot of things that we ate and was available to us that didn't cost money. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is so good for people to hear because I think, as I've heard you say, this history and this self-sufficiency is not recognized. It has not, by the been, white has community. not been recognized. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, let's talk about the exhibit. Okay. Because yeah. we, we have the context now. Tell me first about how this exhibit came to be at the Custom House, and then I want to hear about the museum and what that looks like and what the vision can is. Can we do it the other way we around? Can, yes, let's do it the other way around. Okay, yes. okay. Tell me about the museum. Um, 13 years ago in, in 2010, I went to a 50 year Douglas High School class reunion. Oh, can I say something really quick? Sure. Okay, I just think it's very cool that it's Frederick Douglass. Black, Black Educators, Educators Memorial, Memorial Project. Memorial Project. I think it's really cool because in Rochester, Frederick Douglass is this huge figure because he lived there for a lot of his life. I just wanted to note yeah, that connection because that's yes. where I live. And, and everyone listening to this, or the people who live in Rochester will be very excited okay. about the connection. Okay, okay continue. beautiful. Okay, so at the 50-year um, reunion of the Douglas High School, one of the gentlemen that I had met there who had been in Key West all the time and I knew a couple of his kids, but I, I never really knew them. And he was the speaker for that evening. When he got towards the end of his speech, he says, you may not want to live in Key West anymore. He says, your children may not want to live in Key West anymore, but your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren may want to come back here. And there will be nothing here that says you were ever here. Mm. He says, so, what can we do to keep our history from being wiped from the face of Key West? And then he started out with having an idea of doing a monument or something that would tell the history. Yeah. Well, that night I ended up meeting someone that I knew from the community 
who was a teacher. So, I mean, she was older than I, and, you know, it was, it was running from teachers and preachers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, here, here I am, a young adult, and mm -hmm. I get to, to talk to her. And uh, I was telling her, come home. Mm. Come home for Christmas and New Year's. And let's share these stories and let's capture this history and whatnot. Mm. So that's where we had been talking about it. And I said to Dr. Irving that day, I said that evening, I said, well, we've been talking about this and we got a whole list of things that we did growing up and the games that we played. And we want to invite everybody to come home and be able to go from house to house and yeah. just sit on the porch and tell those stories and play cards and eat and just make it a very special time. Mm. And so Millie and I, we agreed and I started writing up a narrative and it was in the second line that I had written, Calling All Kunks. Mm. And Millie said, John, let's make that the title, Calling All Kunks. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, yeah that's I what it that. should be. So we were calling all kunks to come back, and I shared this with Dr. Irving. And so, say three weeks, a month or something goes by, and I had said to Millie, I says, well, we have to honor the black educators. Mm -hmm. I said, because I never heard of any teachers being just raised in kudos and and respect and all these accolades has been thrown upon them from that night of having the greatest teachers in the world and that they were our surrogate mothers and fathers and their love for the community mm -hmm. and their devotion to teaching. Mm. And so I, again, knowing these black teachers and having this connection from a child, I contacted Dr. Irving and I says, we're gonna honor the black educators from Douglas School in Key West, including the two little kindergartens, which were very important. Yeah. Because 90% of all of the Negro and colored children that were born and raised on the island went to one or the other of these kindergartens. Hmm. So we were all connected to them, whether it was direct or indirect, but we were connected to them. And I said to her, I says, um, we really need you to facilitate this program. I says, it has to be someone with integrity mm. and an understanding and an appreciation for these people. It's like somebody writing your obituary. How the hell can they write your obituary if they didn't know you? For sure, yeah. You know, the most important things about you are, sh are bound to be forgotten and missed, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And Dr. Irving has shared with me that 30 years prior to that, that she did an interview with some of the elders, which is oh. in the library's archives really? right now. Oh, I should go read that. Yes, yes. Go. So one of the gentlemen that she interviewed was Mr. Roosevelt Sands Sr. Hmm. And there were some others. So some of this stuff I do need to go see. And so when I first asked her, she was yeah, <laughs> kind of lukewarm. Uh -huh. And I still got the letters where I sent her an email pleading, oh. please, 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 we need you to do this. Not anybody can do this. And I'm not going to ask anybody to do this mm -hmm. that cannot give them their proper due and the respect due to them. Yeah. You know? So finally she agreed that she would do that. Hmm. And she came to Key West and we had such an incredible event. Mm. 
and we lit candles for each of those teachers as we called their names. Wow. And they came back. Aww. Their spirits came back to that gymnasium that night. Mm -hmm. And it was like an out-of-body experience. Wow. It was amazing. And afterwards, she called me and she says, John, you need to help me and we need to get together. We need to put a group together to help save the history and help the community and da 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 And she was the one that came up with the name, the Frederick Douglass hmm. Black Educators. Yeah. And it was really special to us because we represent those people and their level of integrity, you know, and, and all the things that they stood for, which is something that I want to share with you yeah. before we finish this, is yeah. step and fetch it. Step and fetch it. Step and fetch it. Okay. First black really? millionaire in Hollywood. Yes. Wait, wait, say the name again. Step in. Step in. Fetch it. Fetch it. Step in. Okay. Yes. And his real name yeah. is Lincoln Theodore Monroe Perry. <laughs> wow. And he's from Key West. Oh my gosh. And he did blackface when it was very. He um, did blackface? He did blackface. As a black person. As a black person. Whoa. And it was very, I mean, he caught a beat down from white people, but he caught an ass whooping from black people. Yeah, I'm sure. As a result of that. Wow. And his photograph is in the exhibit here. And okay. he is someone that I want to acknowledge because I think that he did such a brave thing hmm. and that he was successful in spite of what others thought. And since we're talking about it, let me just yeah. finish you yeah, yeah. with the uh, step and fetch it story. Mm -hmm. So when I was five years old, roughly, President Kennedy was in Key West as a result of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh, right. So yeah, so you had the Russian ships going towards Cuba with offensive weaponry and whatnot. So the United States, they stopped them. They sent subs out and ships out. And so I, so I got to see President Kennedy Whoa. here standing on the running board of the car, waving to the people in such an innocent time hmm. that when his assassination occurred, the whole world changed. Yeah. A life of innocence changed. It was kind of hard to imagine who would want to kill an American president mm. and who would want to kill President John F. Kennedy. Because, you know, for me as a little Negro kid, he was like the savior of the world. Mm. And when he was assassinated, I thought that black people were going to be put back in slavery again. Really? You know, because wow. how, how would I know? You know, right, I'm, right. I'm, you know, five and a half, six years old, and I'm just trying to understand what's going on here. So after President Kennedy's assassination, Step and Fetch It wrote a song, a tribute to President John F. Kennedy. And the name of the song is, May What He Lived For Live. Mm. And you can pull it up on, you know, on pretty much on anything, Siri will even find it for right, you. Right, right. I'll play a clip. Oh, please yeah. do. It's yeah. by Liz Land. Okay. And I'm going to tell you, like they would say, she sang that, baby. <laughs> she sang yeah. that, okay? It, it's really simple elegance, mm. the whole song. I love so that. So it's for me, it's important that if nothing else in Key West, let that be the last mm. of Step and Fetch It. 
before his history is erased or anything. Let's yeah. keep that about him. Yeah, I'll play a clip of that song. Yeah, awesome, yeah. thank you. Thank yeah. You. May what he lived for During that same period, I just uh -huh. want you to know that I was a little boy playing out on the sidewalk in front of my mom's house on Whitehead Street, just a, a half block up from the lighthouse and Truman Avenue. And I was a little black cowboy and <laughs> I had all of my little army men and all kinds of stuff. And I had bags of army, the little green army men. Yes. You know, I'd stand them up. I thought I had a million people, needless <laughs> to say. Well, this one morning, I'm playing out on the sidewalk in uh -huh. front of my mom's house, and all of a sudden, there's just like all these trucks with troops just coming into the base. Uh. And I mean, it just kept going on and on and on. You know, I'm blown away from it, you know. Yeah. Within 48 hours, I'm sure, all of these beaches were covered with missiles and stuff. Whoa. They set up camp over behind the airport and you could hear the big radars and the grown-ups were talking about in 72 hours Key West gonna be wiped off the map. <gasps> oh my god. You know, but we they didn't tell us how. Right. You know what the hell that meant. Oh you, you were know? just kids. You were... Yeah. Oh yeah. My and then gosh. it would be 48 hours. But you could see and feel the tension mm. on their faces and that they weren't necessarily calm like they've normally been, yeah? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until it was declared that the blockade was a success and that we were no longer in imminent danger. Wow, you were right in that Cuban 90 miles from Cuba. Oh my gosh. You know? So the Frederick Douglass School Black Educators Memorial Project <laughs> was born. <laughs> was, so that was born and... That was born and it's a nonprofit now, it's right? It's a nonprofit, yes. So what's the mission of that right now? The mission of the project mm -hmm. is to preserve the black history on the island that has been omitted through ignorance or whatever the cause, but it has never really been recorded. And you're getting a, a big piece of it right now. And, if, and now that if you go to the museum, you will see and understand and put these things together, what times were like, you know, at the African cemetery, there is a symbol called Inconsin-Consin. It's one word, Inconsin-Consin. And it means that we are bonded in life and death. And so for me, I always felt that. Many times I will come here and I'm looking around and I remember these people, I remember all the love, I remember the ceremonies and whatnot. And this is very important, this history, is to make sure that these people, these extraordinary, ordinary people who made us who we are, that they're remembered. That in my heart and in my soul, I think that part of immortality mm. is that someone remembers you, that you did something in your life that somebody will call your name a hundred years from down the line, 
that something that you said has resonated with the original people that whoever they tell, they take it to the next place and then they take it somewhere else and it never falls on deaf ears. They share it in places that the, the, their memory will continue living on. living in the heart. So John, people who are listening, who are really excited about this mission, how can they support and help further this project along? Well, for one, I think that they need to tell our city fathers to do the right thing and that this is a very special part of Key West that cannot be omitted nor forgotten. Mm -hmm. And that people need to be able to come to Key West, learn about the history and the black history um, as told from a black eye point of view and preserved so that they will have a respect for what came here before. Mm. And that the black history is not wiped from the face of Key West, that it's not whitewashed or watered down. Yeah. And so I would ask them to please be supportive of the Frederick Douglass School Black Educators Memorial Project and their efforts to develop this museum mm -hmm. that is crucial for all of us. It is an honor and respect to the ancestors and it is a path and a trail back to the roots for future generations, youth and unborn. That's amazing. I'm really grateful that you took this time to sit down with me. I'm grateful for you, but I want you to share this with me. Oh, I will at share some point because the shit we will this. um oh, because I'll share this will, yeah, yeah because this will help tell the story in the future. Yeah. Um, you know, it, this is almost like one of those entries into what's going on and we could take right. stuff from here and I have recordings of the elders from the community that's great. telling their stories. You do? Yeah, oh, that's yeah, awesome. yeah. And their Douglas school stories and their teachers and all of them. Yeah, I mean, they, that's amazing. They put their teachers upon a pedestal by all Aww. means, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> and you John. do the same cuz as God been saying I need to record these things and yeah. cataloging and organizing stuff that the history will always remain here on the island. Yeah. And that is my goal. Uh, <laughs> I love that. It was truly an honor to speak with John Wilson Smith about his important community work. And I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. You can reach John or check out his work at the link in the show notes or at jwskeys at gmail.com. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review if you liked this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. See you next time.